0: Welcome to Assorted Goods, I'm Dan Felton, your host. Thank you for joining me as we take a curious look at the world around us. Seasons greetings! I hope you're doing well, staying warm, avoiding emptying your bank accounts completely on gifts. Assorted Goods is on a bit of a holiday break, and I know, taking a break when the show just relaunched a month and a half ago? Well, it's the holidays and things are crazy. So right now, Assorted Goods will be back to hit the ground running on January 10th with more new episodes and we'll be getting into some really good topics, and I'll be sitting down with some guests as well. So much to look forward to. But in the meantime, I thought I'd pull out an episode from the Assorted Goods Archives and revisit this classic from Christmas of 2019, a much different time. I'd like to think that the podcast has also come a long way since then, or maybe it's just the traumatic experience of the last two years talking. In this episode, we dive into Christmas tree shortages, the trends of holiday spending and debt, two things that have not changed much in the couple of years since the episode aired, and then a look at the evolution of Christmas and its traditions over the centuries, as well as the tale of when the holiday spirit interrupted a world war. It's an assortment of holiday goods, so bundle up with a hot chocolate and enjoy this throwback episode. Assorted Goods is produced by Disinformed Media in association with Verboten Productions. Promotional support comes from the Always Up Network and DeanBlundell.com. Now, when I was growing up, there was something about the Christmas tree. You know, the tradition of it, the routine of stringing up lights, opening the old boxes filled with ornaments. I still like that part of it all, especially when I go back home and look at the little ornaments that bring back memories, like the shoddy ones that me and my siblings made when we were little. Oh, I'm getting sentimental already. It is a heavy dose of nostalgia. The Christmas tree just kind of has an effect on people. I think most people feel that way about it too. But, you know, that obnoxious brain of mine that's full of questions likes to chime in every now and then, and, well, it just felt like there had to be more to the whole, millions of Christmas trees being put up in homes everywhere every year. To be honest, I wasn't sure what I would find if I took a look at this topic, but I knew there had to be something, like a Christmas present. I just wanted to sneak a look. And, of course, as it turns out, There is a little something to the mass sale of Christmas trees year after year. And of course, it's a bit of a problem. (laughs) I mean, what would this podcast be without stories turning into problems? Now, you might have wondered why it seems like Christmas tree shopping has been a bit more tricky in the last couple of years. Or maybe you've wondered why prices for them are a little higher than they used to be. As it turns out, there actually is a shortage of Christmas trees across North America that's been about a decade in the making. So how the hell does it take roughly 10 years for a tree shortage to take place? Well, luckily you've come to a podcast where I arbitrarily ask questions just to set myself up so I can then answer them for you immediately after. Is that what I do? Yes. Yes, it is. So, okay. Where do all these millions of trees come from every year? I mean, in this day and age, it seems unacceptable to chop down trees like this just to be used as short-term decorations and then get thrown away. Well, thankfully, it's not really how it works. And I'll be filing this into the category of things I never thought of and then realized were kind of obvious while doing research. But all these Christmas-style trees, which belong to the conifer family of tree species, are grown and cultivated like any other crop, meaning that people literally have Christmas tree farms that they maintain and replenish at a relatively sustainable cycle. Now, you are possibly thinking, uh, yeah, dude, you didn't know that? But hey, look, all right, I've always been a city boy my whole life, and I'm not well versed in the mysterious ways of country living. So anyways, yes, these farms are where your Christmas joy comes from, and it typically takes these types of trees anywhere between 6 and 12 years to fully mature. Can you see the story taking shape here just a little bit? But if you remember, 10 years ago was about when the world experienced an economic downturn, to say the least. Stock markets dipped to lows that hadn't been seen in decades, and there were worries of a total global economic collapse. And typically, whenever the economy takes a hit, it usually hits the people already at the lower ends of the economic spectrum hardest. That being said, growing trees to be sold for Christmas isn't exactly a big money business. In fact, only half of Christmas tree farms are able to make at least twenty-five grand a year, meaning that they're only really viable if they're part of a larger agricultural operation. Basically, You can't solely rely on these trees for a decent living. But anyways, about a decade ago, the economic crisis left a lot of farmers in desperate situations. Many of them had to sell off their land, which was repurposed, and others simply couldn't afford to run their business at the same capacity that they used to. Not to mention with millions more people in crisis themselves, the customer base for things like Christmas trees was just smaller. I guess in tough times, the things that could be considered luxuries become clearer. Now, I know there are tons of places where the 2008 collapse hit people hard, and this really is just one little piece of it. But it's a good example of how the effects of a major event, like a massive economic shift, can ripple out for long after everything seemingly goes back to normal. So, here we are a decade later, and now North America is experiencing a shorter supply of our needily festive friends. Less trees were planted back then, and now there's less available to buy. Tree farmers were unable to reap what they were unable to sow. Now, there are a few more reasons why there's been such a change in the market for Christmas trees. For one, a basic economic principle emerges with less supply, that being higher prices, which means people are now turning to synthetic trees as an alternative, which have been increasing in their numbers sold for a few years now. Stats on the number of Christmas trees bought in general have actually stayed the same since the mid-2000s, but the number of artificial trees has actually doubled, and that just might be the trend that's here to stay. Frankly, I've never really cared about having a real one or a fake one. It's more about the tradition and the aesthetic than whether it's a real, from-the-earth tree, but hey, that's just me. Now, of course, there is also a climate-related piece to all this. Yes, weather cycles have become inconsistent over this last decade, and as a result, the maturation of some of these tree species hasn't really been as steady as it has been in the past, a trend that also isn't likely to change. Droughts and floods have taken their toll on plantations, with decreasing success rates of the saplings that are being planted by farmers. Also, apparently people are very picky about their Christmas trees, with farmers not only finding it tough to bring quality trees to their maturity level that makes them good for sale, but even tougher to meet the often picky expectations some buyers have for the quality of a tree. I mean, people want tall, lush, deep green trees. Some even want specific species of trees that are only grown in very specific regions. And that desire to find just the right one may also be contributing to that shift to artificial trees we just touched on. It's easy to get the right tree when it came out of the box meeting your specifications, right? There was another thing I found when looking into this, though. Apparently, Christmas tree farming just isn't something younger generations want to do anymore. Agriculture as a whole is losing its popularity as a career choice. And since tree farming is an outlier as it is, Christmas tree farms may only continue to shrink in their numbers. Interestingly enough, though, And getting back to Economics 101 with Professor Dan, if less people are farming these trees, then doesn't that mean there's going to be an opening for someone to step in and meet that demand? You're welcome for the business idea. Just cut me in on the profits, okay? However, the inconsistent weather and the shift to artificial trees may be limiting that potential market anyway. So, I don't know, maybe don't go buying a plot of land just yet. Anyway you slice this one, you are likely to be decorating an artificial Christmas tree in the future whether that's because real ones are hard to find or because people just prefer the ease and reusability of the faux trees. There is a continuing trend away from the real ones for the different reasons that we've touched on here. It really just may be the way things are going to be in the future. Hell, maybe real trees will become luxury items that fancy people get for the holidays. You know, some sign of wealth thing. You all know how much people love having a reason to show something off to everyone else hoping to make themselves look better. It's one of the features of being human. Well, whatever type of tree you have, I hope it fills you with that holiday cheer. And I hope it keeps your Christmas traditions alive and well, because that's what it's all about, isn't it? Or is it about cashing in with awesome gifts? I always get confused by that part of it. Well, let's move on. Wherever you are in the world, if you celebrate Christmas, you might celebrate a little differently than people do elsewhere. Yeah, I know, another obvious point. But shut up. I'm trying to set up a story here. Now, I've looked up the difference in the Christmas traditions of different countries, And here's a few examples of what I found. In Australia, Santa Claus apparently ditches his reindeer when he gets there and then swaps in some kangaroos, including one with a red nose. Better watch out for those copyright lawyers. The big jolly guy himself also takes on different forms and names depending on the country, oftentimes looking like more of a religious figure or going by different names like Father Christmas, which I've always felt like was a little on the nose, but okay. There are also some more questionable traditions, like the Netherlands, and their Santa sidekick Black Pete, a bit of a racist caricature who punishes the bad children. What food people leave out for Jolly Old Saint Nick also varies, from the old cookies and milk, to porridge, to carrots and hay for Santa's horses. Jeez, reindeer, horses, kangaroos. Santa's got a serious army of animal slaves. I mean helpers. All right, all right. There are a ton of variations on the little traditions, which makes sense. Different countries always have a little spin of their own on things, but there was one aspect of Christmas that I was interested in knowing the cultural variations that was spending. Not necessarily the giving of gifts, that seems to be a pretty universal tradition, but how consumption-centric is the Christmas season around the world? Well, gifts are of course a part of Christmas traditions everywhere that Christmas is celebrated, but some places really like shelling out for gifts. Unsurprisingly, America reigns supreme in this category, with holiday spending topping $1 trillion a year now, and I mean, of course it has. In America, and here in Canada too, there's this crazy push to advertise holiday deals, this season of giving, by which they really mean spending, pretty much from Halloween onwards. And actually, the data I could find on spending by country was pretty limited. I need a crack team of researchers to find out all this for me. I'm actually looking to hire a team of researchers, but they'll have to be paid in compliments and partly funny, sarcastic jokes. Now, America is not alone in spending like crazy. The UK also sees a healthy amount of holiday spending. As of 2016, Britain was leading the European PAC, spending 75 billion euros, which is about $85 billion US a year, or a bajillion fun-time Canadian dollars, actually. Other European nations like France, Germany, Italy, and Spain also spend billions on holiday shopping. A stat that was a bit more telling was the percentage of a person's income that was spent on holiday shopping. Again, in terms of the pure mass of spending, that title belongs to America, and then a handful of economically advanced nations. But the portion of income going to holidays? Again, numbers were hard to come by, but from what I could find, it indicated that in fact countries like Romania, the Czech Republic, South Africa, Russia, Greece, all spend a higher proportion of their annual income, meaning they sacrifice more to make the holidays full of that gift-giving cheer. Now, here's where the train of the story completely derailed. And in in an honestly candid moment, this whole Christmas many-by-country idea that I was following just died. Like I was saying before, the available research was actually kind of limited. It's apparently a topic that hasn't been researched all that much. And the numbers out there are varied, spaced out, as in stats come up for a year and then seem to be hard to find for a few more years. That kind of makes sense. Like, when you try to look up global numbers, then you need to depend on someone doing the legwork and the research for each individual nation. And maybe I just expect there to be too much freely available research online. Ah. I'm just so damn demanding, I guess. And not to mention that spending varies based on things like a nation's economic and social trends. So I drop kick this story in the face. Blam! And then I thought, okay, well, this won't do. I need something more. And like a Christmas miracle, an obvious point came to my mind. Debt. Of course. People spend out the ass for the holidays, and speaking from personal experience, and I'm sure you probably have had a little of the same, You go into freaking debt trying to make the most of the holidays. So just how big of an issue is holiday debt? Well, let's catch our second wind on this story and take a look at that. Whew, good save. Alright, so we know how much the holidays tend to make you feel that obligation to spend. And hey, I get it. I know I do it all the time too. You want to do something nice for your family or that special someone and you think, ah, what the hell, it's just this one time per year. But the numbers on holiday debt are troubling, to say the least. We just touched on all the places that spend the most money, and although it would seem like personal economics would affect how much people spend, it actually appears that regardless of a good economy, or if people are in tighter situations, they still like to spend at the holidays. Studies indicate that up to one in five people are still paying off some sort of expense they incurred during the previous holiday season, which is not good. And I know we all have people that we care about, but... Care enough to stay in debt until next Christmas? Come on, nobody's that great. And on average, people pay off their holiday debts in August, over halfway through the year. I should note, though, that it's not simply gifts that rack up the debt. Travel expenses like airfare, gas, hotels also play a role, as well as the increase in donations, workplace holiday events. People seem to simply spend more across the board when the holidays roll in. Now, there are specific demographic differences as well the baby boomer generation tends to go spend more and go into greater debt during the holiday season, whereas millennials tend to spend less and take on less debt, probably because they can't imagine being in more debt than they're already in. In terms of different countries, it seems that holiday debt is a common problem across Britain, Canada, and America mostly, which are not coincidentally some of the heaviest holiday spenders. Ah, makes a little more sense now, right? And that's where this all kind of fell into the duh category for me. Yeah, people are spending more than ever on the holidays, and debt is through the roof as a result. One plus one does equal two. Oh. And yet, it seems like it's business as usual when the season rolls around. You know, the endless ads and Christmas music. I hate it. But if people are making these decisions to spend even though they really can't afford to, then why do they? Well, maybe you guessed it, but it's pretty much social pressure. The old, everyone else is doing it, like smoking in high school. People are often afraid that if they don't get something good for someone else, that the other person will think less of them. Shit, maybe they will. But isn't that actually kind of an indicator that the other person is being a bit of a dick? And that social pressure seems to play a pretty big role. But here's a kicker. A survey done here in Canada indicated that over half of holiday shoppers would stop buying gifts altogether if they thought they really could. So maybe they just should. I mean, over half? That's a coin flip that the other person who doesn't get a gift will care. And I like those odds. But alright, why the hell am I talking about all this holiday spending stuff? You mean apart from finding holiday-related stories to fill an episode, which was harder than I thought it would be, by the way? Well, maybe it's because I genuinely feel like the holiday time spending ritual we seem to have settled into is a little ridiculous. And if people really are staying in debt nearly all year round just to keep up with some buying-heavy idea of Christmas then maybe we need to rethink what we really value during the holiday season. Oh, shit. This isn't turning into some Charlie Brown special, is it? No, no. Well, maybe. But it's worth talking about, isn't it? Holidays are supposed to be about bringing people together, about being thankful for all the good things we have. You know, all that Hallmark card stuff. Christmas cards, by the way, are a billion-dollar market of their own. Oh, thanks for ruining that too, Dan! Dan! But is it really that unreasonable to suggest that we reduce the amount of gifts we give during the holiday season, especially when it seems like most people are actually in favor of doing just that? Look, it's all well and good to want to do nice things for those around you during the holidays, but there has to be a freaking line. An annual cycle of debt just isn't worth it. And the good news is that there may actually be some sort of a change on its way. Like I said before, younger generations are spending less on the holidays, and there are trends towards more simplistic gift ideas, like Something homemade or something more sentimental. And that's good. People always seem to appreciate the more thoughtful gifts over the big money ones. But I guess that also depends on the person. So will we find a little more holiday spirit and move away from the shopping spree style holiday season? Yeah, it's possible. And it just might be where we are headed if certain trends hold. In the meantime, make the most of the holidays. And I know it's not my place, but for the love of all that is good in the Christmas season, spend within your limits, Please. And now, a little Christmas history. And what better way than to take a bit of a look at how Christmas started and took shape over time? And no, I'm not talking about the traditional Christmas stories you know, the ones with the manger and the wise men and all the nativity scene stuff but the actual formation of the holiday, since I never actually knew how it all came about. And well, the point of this show is to learn a little, although not always guaranteed. But, anyways, let's start there. So when I was younger, I always thought it was just common to believe that the whole point of the Christmas holiday was originally to celebrate the birth of Jesus. You know, again, with the manger scenes and the little baby and all that good stuff. But as it turns out, there's one problem. Apparently, because I can't say I've done the reading myself, but the Bible doesn't actually indicate the birthday of the big J himself. And for the first few centuries after we started counting our calendar years upwards instead of downwards, the celebration of Jesus' birthday just wasn't a thing. Here's a little logical tidbit I found, actually. The classic stories of Christmas time and the whole birth in the manger, again with the wise men and the wee little baby, it actually includes a shepherd doing a little herding. Except it would have happened in the middle of winter, which is not herding season. But, I mean, flawed logic in a religious text? Unheard of. Okay, let me use that a little bit there. Some estimates made over time indicate that if the Son of God was a real person, then he was likely born closer to springtime or in the fall. I think they're a little foggy on that detail. But again, since there wasn't a clear date, there wasn't really a birthday to celebrate, at least not until about the 4th century when religious leaders decided that a celebration of their Savior's birthday should be a recognized holiday. Christianity in its early years focused its annual celebrations on Easter, and the celebrations that take place at what we now know as the holiday season was actually something very different, kind of, something a little more chaotic, something that could be considered barbaric when compared to the elegance of the later Christmas traditions. Although, I wouldn't consider people beating each other over an Xbox to be in the elegant spirit of the holidays, but I'm getting carried away here. The time of the year in which we have our holidays corresponds with the winter solstice, which occurs on the 21st of December in Western calendars. The solstices, both winter and summer, have often been the basis of celebratory traditions throughout history. The Romans had a few celebrations around this time of the year, mostly honoring their variety of gods and even overhauling their social order. Slaves would become masters, businesses, courts, and schools would be closed so that everyone could celebrate, and people all over would eat, drink. Dance, gamble, and party all they wanted. My kind of holiday, really. The festival that took place was called Saturnalia, which I'm sure I probably mispronounced in some way. But it was originally a single-day celebration, correlating with December 25th on the Roman calendar. But in the later years of the Empire, the celebrations were expanded to take place for a week. Spring break! Woo! I mean, pagan holiday break! Woo! Woo? Anyway, some of the traditions that took place during Saturnalia may sound familiar. The giving of gifts, the decorating of homes with greenery like trees and wreaths. The celebration was to mark the returning of the sun and the lead into the next agricultural cycle. Again, the solstice being the official date when the days begin to get longer again. Which is why there were also sacrifices made to the gods. Ha, classic holiday tradition. But this was done in the hopes that the next year of planting and harvesting would be successful. Overall, though, it was a pretty pagan holiday, although it doesn't really seem like traditions have really changed all that much. I mean, the holiday season seems to still be mostly filled with eating, drinking, dancing, singing, the gifts, and the greenery, although maybe the gambling isn't what it once was. Now, as Christianity began to spread throughout the early centuries of the AD period, religious leaders began to seek ways to nudge their way into the pagan traditions, and sort of overwrite them with the Christianity-based winter solstice celebrations. And thus, the unofficial birth date of Jesus himself was placed at the same time as the old Saturnalia celebrations. They even kept some of the pagan traditions, the gift-giving and the decorations, likely as a way to ease the transition for those who preferred to stick to their own traditions. And as time went on, as Christian traditions became the norm, people would file in for Christmas Mass to observe the traditions of the church and then... Party time! Jeez, talk about cultural appropriation! Whoops, there goes all my devout Christian listeners. Bye, Merry Christmas! So, Christmas, in fact, isn't really a Christian celebration at all, but really, it was and still kinda is the appropriation of older religious traditions of other faiths. This fact isn't new information necessarily, though. Across Europe in the 17th century. The pagan roots of Christmas time became the basis of a Puritan movement that banned these celebrations, when certain religious leaders took a stand against the holiday because of its hedonistic origins, citing that it actually went against the teachings of the church and promoted traditions that were not Christian at all. Oddly enough, some people consider this to be the original War on Christmas, in contrast to the current War on Christmas, which takes place in the battlefronts of Starbucks and Walmart. In early colonial America... The holiday wasn't widely celebrated for a long time, thanks to the Puritans who settled in the New World and held the same beliefs as the Puritans in Europe who sought to remove these barbaric holiday celebrations from their way of life. America actually didn't adopt Christmas as a holiday until 1870, since its hedonistic traditions were looked down upon for a long time. Not to say it wasn't celebrated, but it was far from being a common tradition the way it is today. So, what revived it? Well, it's a classic case of rebranding. One piece of the reason was actually Charles Dickens writing and publishing his famous tale, A Christmas Carol, in which the spirit of Christmas became about charity and outgoingness and family. The redirection of the holiday's purpose towards doing good for others allowed it to be looked upon more favorably by people. The focus on family also helped at the time when children were moving away from being workers and helping hands and more towards being little ones who needed compassion, care, and generosity. And in the years after... Those pagan traditions came roaring back the gifts, the decorations, and the celebrations. And since then, Christmas has taken on the form that it has today, mirroring the traditions of the past. Now, there was one thing that caught me off guard about all this, though. Early Christmas traditions included the wealthy being extremely generous and even swapping places with their slaves and underlings as a way to pay the debt that they supposedly owed those who had helped them all year round. <laughs> And I don't know, maybe the best way to pay a debt would to be, I don't know, actually pay them. But anyways, yes, I know we do consider it to be the season of giving as it is. But I don't know, maybe we could use a little more of that tradition again, since it seems like the holidays are now mostly about shelling out crazy amounts of cash to make people like you a little more. And you know, yeah, I'd like to reign as CEO of the company I work for during the holidays. Got some changes I want to make around here. This was an interesting thing to look into because Christmas has evolved and morphed and taken on different meanings over the centuries. So, it's likely that in the future, traditions will continue to switch up. And hell, maybe we can get away from all that spending and debt we talked about earlier and get back to finding the true meaning of Christmas. Ah, this is a Charlie Brown Christmas special, isn't it? Ah, jeez. I can't help it. I'm just trying to spread the holiday spirit. And maybe this podcast will be the thing to change our traditions for the better. Ah, a man can dream, I guess. All right, gather round for our last story of this holiday episode. This one is a classic Christmas tale from the history books for you. And it's one that I would heard a little bit about before. Maybe you've heard about it too. But as we head into a new decade, living in a time filled with so many people despising one another, ah, well, I'm a sentimental guy, so... hey. What better time to tell this tale than for the holiday episode of Assorted Goods on the cusp of a brand spanking new decade, right? All right. so this one goes back over a hundred years ago, to the First World War, only five months into the four-plus year war that would end up claiming the lives of over 15 million people. For a brief moment in time, soldiers on both sides of the battlefield laid down their arms for a Christmas celebration that defied everything we know about the brutality of war. It was Christmas 1914, along the infamous Western Front of the conflict, where British, French, and Belgian soldiers, freezing their asses off, unaware of the years of unspeakable horrors that were yet to come, all hunkered down in their trenches and celebrated Christmas Eve. While across a field filled with death, German soldiers were doing the exact same thing. The war at the time was in a bit of a stalemate. A couple of previous offenses had left neither army with the results they were looking for, and leadership from both sides were drawing up new plans to gain the upper hand. For the soldiers themselves, reports from that time say that many of the men had believed the war would only last a few months and would have been over by this very Christmas, if only. The story goes that on Christmas Eve 1914, the night was clear and calm, lit by moonlight, with a fresh layer of snow covering the ground, a night that would be ideal for Christmas if it weren't for the backdrop of a massive war. While both sides were having a makeshift Christmas celebration amongst themselves, soldiers broke into singing Christmas carols. And then, apparently, each of the warring armies took turns singing songs, going back and forth until the British soldiers began to sing O Come All Ye Faithful, at which point the game stopped being back and forth, and the German soldiers sang the song along with the British, in their own language, of course, though. After that, German soldiers apparently leaned out of their trenches and yelled Merry Christmas in English, which got the same reply coming back. Next, German soldiers indicated that they would come out of their trenches if the British agreed not to shoot them. And in some strange turn of human decency, they didn't shoot. And before long, men came out from both sides, establishing a ceasefire in the spirit of Christmas. Over the following day, Christmas Day, men from both armies exchanged gifts instead of bullets, sang songs, told stories, and much more. Some accounts include small games of soccer being played, although that bit is apparently a bit disputed. Another tale is out there that an Allied soldier received a haircut from his former barber, a then-German soldier. The temporary truce also allowed both armies to bury their dead, who were all over the area in between the opposing trench networks known as No Man's Land. Ceremonies were held with men from both sides gathering to honor fallen soldiers. The truce, though, didn't last. It was only ever temporary, and in some places it never occurred at all. Some parts of the front lines, the battle continued through Christmas, and there were even accounts of some men attempting to establish a peaceful ceasefire across a battlefield, only to be shot dead by opposing soldiers who had no interest in it. War was still war, it seems. In the spots where this miraculous moment of brotherhood took place in the middle of war, many soldiers returned to their trenches the day after Christmas began preparing to kill the very men that they had just exchanged gifts and sang songs with. Some truces lasted until New Year's and left a period of days where there was what was described as an eerie silence across battlefields. One way or another, the war returned and stayed for four or so more years. Here's a few bits, though. The Christmas truce was actually proposed by the Pope just before the real one that happened in 1914, but the idea was shot down, no pun intended, I swear, and... After this now infamous 1914 Christmas truce, a couple more were attempted in the following years, but with very limited success. At the same time, though, truces weren't completely unheard of. They did take place during the war, but were often agreed to so that both sides could gather and bury their dead who lay out in no man's land. The leaders and commanding officers for both sides of the war didn't like this whole truce thing. And why would they? They had a lot more at stake than the men who were sent to die in the mud. After the 1914 truce, the armies were told not to do that again, and any sort of truce was discouraged. The thing is, though, trench warfare between two armies like that kind that defined so much of the battles of World War I occurred in very close proximity. One side could often hear the other, smell their cooking even. This, along with these truces, concerned military leaders from both sides. Basically, the worry was that if the soldiers got to know each other, it would undermine their ability to do the job they were sent to do, which was, you know, to kill each other, and that these Christmas truces were actually a subversion of their duties. Now, when researching the story, there were a couple quotes from those who were there that were worth mentioning. One British soldier said that if the superiors of both armies had disappeared that Christmas Eve in 1914, not another shot would have been fired in the war. And maybe he was right. Another opinion on the matter from a German officer who stated that the truce was shameful and that such a thing should never happen in wartime, questioning the honor of his fellow soldiers. That guy's name was Adolf Hitler. Assholes are going to always be assholes, I guess. You know, my family and I celebrate Christmas, and although we aren't really a religious family, not by a long shot, really, this story is the closest damn thing I can think of to the cliché of a Christmas miracle. Men who were pitted across a field with the objective of destroying each other in order to advance or defend the interests of their home nations laid down their weapons, took a chance with their lives, and found peace for just a the night. They met, chatted, got to know the very people they were there to kill, and in the end, likely did. Exchanging gifts, stories, songs, people who could have been good friends under peaceful times, except they weren't peaceful times. And you know, I've read similar stories from the second world war about men who fought there, who heard Christmas carols in the night and wondered who these supposed vicious enemies really were beneath the uniform. I don't know. I've never been a soldier. I don't know what all this would be like, but this story for some reason, well, an obvious reason, I guess really gets to me. The history of our species is overflowing with tales of people hating each other, killing each other for one reason or another. And yet, It always seems that all people want, wherever they come from, whoever they are, is more or less the same. Chance at a prosperous life, good friends, family, some good laughs and a song to sing, warm meal and a roof to sleep under. To tell you the truth, I wanted to tell you this story because where we all are right now kind of scares me. I worry all the time that we might be headed back towards being sent to destroy people we don't know for reasons we don't understand. And while my naive optimistic side, I guess, thinks there's something beautiful about what took place on Christmas in 1914, even if it was only in a small place for a small moment, it happened. And to me, it means anything is possible, and that everyone can get back to recognizing the things that make us the same, as long as we're willing to emerge from our holes and take that first step to make it a reality. right that's it for this throwback holiday themed episode of assorted goods thank you for taking the time to listen do you want to give assorted goods the best christmas gift of all well simply subscribe to the podcast on your app of choice spotify itunes even youtube whatever you like just hit that little button i have to plead for the holiday season it is the season of giving after all now If you have a holiday-themed story of your own that you want to share or any feedback about the podcast or you just want to reach out and say hi, send me an email at dan at disinformed.ca or go to disinformed.ca and hit the contact page to send your thoughts. If you want to follow the show on the socials, you can follow me and Assorted Goods on Twitter and Instagram at disinformeddan. You can also find a list of the sources used for the information in this episode on disinformed.ca slash assortedgoods. So check those out for that little extra bit of information that you can use to annoy your family over the holidays. Credit for the information used in this episode goes to the journalists, academics, writers, editors, and everyone involved in keeping people like me informed so I can provide people like you with a quality show. Consider supporting quality content anywhere you find it this holiday season. Assorted Goods will be back on January 10th with more new episodes. Until then, thanks again for listening. Take care, have a safe and happy holiday and new year, and I'll catch you next time here on Assorted Goods.